0: If you have a Bible or have access to a Bible, and I think everybody does, in the pew behind you, turn to Matthew chapter 6. In a moment, we'll read from it. We'll really read what we just heard there, Matthew chapter 6. And I want to give you a heads up, uh, ushers and everybody in the house today, at the end of this sermon, we'll have a prayer time, an invitational time, but we'll take up the offering as well. We're bringing the offering back. Yeah, uh, yeah, somebody clapping. You better give. You better give. I I thought about uh, doing like a... spinoff on a Justin Timberlake song bringing the offering plate back something like that it's kind of like a skid or something but my wife told me not to do it that the Lord was not leading me uh, to do that but we're bringing the offering back. I didn't necessarily want to do it. I brought it up. If anybody thinks I run a kingdom, I'll tell you the other night I was in a meeting with our uh, leadership and I said, hey, you know, there's three ways to give. You can mail it in, you can give online. More of you have been doing that. You can give in person at a giving box. We've been saying that for 16 months now as we have not been in person or have not passed the plate while in person. And that team of people around me said, let's bring the offering plate back. And we were supposed to do it last week. Lauren Lucky, where are you? And we forgot to do it. Uh, I blame Lauren, she blames me. The truth somewhere in the middle. But uh, we'll be doing that today, and I'm just talking, just so you can turn to Matthew 6. I was just giving you time. Matthew chapter 6, and let's read what we've heard before, and what a beautiful rendition, Emily, that you did on that as well. I love imagination and bringing some poetry with the beautiful poetry of Scripture. Jesus said this in Matthew uh, chapter 6. He said, when you pray, because the disciples came to him and said, teach us to pray. You know that's a teachable moment when someone walks up to you and says, teach us to pray. To do this, teach me about small engine repair. People say that to me all the time, and then I, I tell them how to repair small engines. Teach us to pray. So Jesus said in Matthew 6 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Repeat after me. He's saying, sort of. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's do the tack on because it's heavy, but it's good for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The most... um. Famous prayer ever inside the most famous sermon ever preached, right there. Last week, we began week one of, of, of this installment of Repeat After Me. We said a few things by way of introduction, not just by way of introduction of last week's message, but really by way of introduction to the whole series. We said uh, several things, and one thing in particular, uh, we talked about what Jesus said, that prayer is not to be about our many words. It, it's not to be about our many words. In fact. We said this by way of introduction that that prayer itself um, is it's a it's it's a word that we have a love-hate relationship with. Uh, I I think of being at a stoplight. How many of you love to be stuck at a stoplight? Anybody in the house today? I mean, you're a really you're too. You're a very patient person if that's what you enjoy. No one enjoys that unless you're a glutton for punishment. But When you're stuck at a stoplight, like you're not, obviously I'm stating the obvious here, but the light's not green, you can't go. The light's not yellow, it's not cautioning you. If you're like me, you kind of take advantage of the yellow light, anybody like that? Kind of by way of sin, confession, in church. Yellow light, yeah, it's optional, gun it, right? But a red light, if you're at a red light, you're stuck at it, and I was stuck at one, Uh, not too long ago, and the light itself was stuck, and I know it was stuck. The officer later wanted to negotiate that, but I'm just convinced that it didn't work properly, that it went through two to maybe three cycles, not just one, and I reminded him uh, that that I'm a pastor and I work for God, and that kind of helped out uh, in the end. But when you're stuck, prayer, did you ever ever feel like that? I mean, let's be honest. You're stuck. Why why just sit here? Why pray? I mean, prayer doesn't really take you anywhere. It's a love-hate relationship that we have with prayer. But contrasting being stuck at a stoplight, I think of Steve. If you were to look at our Facebook page, it still should be up there. But a week ago, uh, last week during church service, a man named Steve Kennedy, I think I know this, Steve, but he posted. And he said, uh, prayer, I'm, I'm alive today because of prayer. How about that? That's the love in the love-hate relationship. Would anyone say that? I'm, I don't know fully know his testimony, but I'm alive today because of prayer. And I tell you, time and time again, I know we're supposed to be angry and bitter and cynical and start giving up and deconstructing and abandoning and all that stuff, but just for a moment, consider this. I know a lot of people, I'm telling you the truth, uh, maybe you're one of them, but I know a lot of people who have a testimony like that, who love prayer, and who say, hey, I I got a cancer diagnosis. I lost a job. I had a dream that just got crushed. But I had a peace, a peace that I cannot explain to you. I cannot tell you how and why. I can't tell you A to Z, but I'm telling you, I did not feel alone during this. And time and time again, I hear story after story. I, through prayer, I found forgiveness. I found conviction. I found a grace. I found wisdom. I found encouragement. I found counsel. I found strength. I have a testimony, a repeated testimony of finding counsel through prayer. It's a habit that I have. I started doing this a few years ago, and it's, it's my lifeblood as a pastor, but really as a person. It's vitality as a person just to pray, hey, Lord, here's what's before me today, and then just stop. Nothing else, no verses, no scripture, no distraction. Hey, God, here's what I have before me. And just stop and just listen. What might come back your way? So we have a love-hate relationship uh, with prayer. But we said that to be human is to pray, not just to be religious. Everyone would agree, religious people pray. But I believe that all humans pray, that there's something to it. I have a friend who is an agnostic and, years ago I, I challenged him one day I said do you ever doubt your doubts he's heard me talk about my doubts he's heard me go through periods of doubting and and uh, as I share my testimony and where I have vacillated where my faith has been strengthened and how I nourish my faith and when I have doubts and all that and I've been pretty transparent with him but one day I thought i turned the table and said do you ever doubt your doubts and recently told me recently he told me I'm doubting my doubts preacher are you praying for me <laughs> I'm doubting my doubts, and there's just something in us that says this brief existence in these bodies can't be all that it is. This narrow span of living, there's got to be more. This fleeting glimpse in this space-time continuum can't be all that there is. And we cry out to be human is to pray. To be human is to pray. So the question we said last week by way of recap, I'm still recapping, but we said last week that the question ultimately is not so much do you pray, it's to whom and how. The mountaineers had a saying, the mountains are cold. Don't dismiss them as uneducated, ignorant people from a bygone era. I think they were onto something. The mountains are cold. In other words, there's a popular thing, especially in Hollywood. I've been looking at this for the last year, it's sort of a prism when I'm watching uh, celebrities be interviewed and they'll, they, they, they'll say, hey, I'm calling out to the universe or I'm throwing this out to the universe or the universe brought this back to me or I'm speaking this into the universe. And man, I love that in that it shows us that to be human is to pray. There's something in us that wants to call out. Ecclesiastes 3.11, you know, this is one of my favorite verses, for God has said eternity in our hearts. There's something else, there's something more, there's something beyond this. And all of... All of humanity cries out, and Hollywood in particular, the universe, the universe. But I would say the mountains are cold. The universe is cold and capricious. It's moody, and it's not going to be there for you. And into this reality, you, you heard it. Jesus says in the greatest prayer ever offered, in the greatest sermon ever preached, he says, hey, there's a different way. And when you pray, don't pray as the hypocrites to be seen. And back then, to be seen in our day, where do you go to be seen? It's social media, I think. That's everybody. We're living with this now. Everybody's got a microphone. Everybody's got a, a megaphone. And it's, it's toxic. Where do you go to back then without Instagram and such? Where did they go? They went to the street corner and they went to the synagogues. And that's what Jesus addresses, and he says, don't be like that, don't be like the hypocrites because they're praying to be seen by people. And then he says, don't don't just heap up empty words. Your prayers ever felt like that? Last week we mentioned that there's inscriptions on ancient documents of religious people praying, and they put, by way of adjective, 16 words before God, 16 words before addressing God. Now I'm, I'm all right for some flowery speech, and let me let me be honest with you. I'm tempted when some of you will call me and ask me to come pray, to come pray at an event you're having, or something that you're dedicating, or to pray at a particular event or group or whatever. And I'm tempted to kind of put some flowery speech in there to be seen by other people in the synagogues or on the street corners. But Jesus, is like, you don't have to you don't have to heap empty words. Just pray. And here's what he says, and this is the essence of prayer. And what I want everyone to think about today and from this day forward is that Jesus says, don't do that. Don't be like the hypocrites to be seen by other people. Don't heap up empty phrases thinking that you will be heard. But when you pray, go into your room. They didn't have a lot of rooms in first century Palestine, by the way. Most of us are living in luxury with extra rooms in our house. And Jesus said, when you pray, go into a room and shut the door to the room and pray to your father in secret. And then a promise right after the command, he says, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Now, what will the reward be? Like, this is when it gets real fuzzy, real funny. Uh, different preachers will stand up here and offer different promises there. And I'm uh, walk, walking with people who are deconstructing their faith. I'm saying often that some of us leave our faith because we've attached promises to God that he never made. But Jesus said he will reward you. L- l- sometimes, look, I don't get the answer to my prayers, like the thing I prayed. Gimme, gimme, gimme. By the way, my name is Jimmy. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme. Sometimes I don't get the reward like that, the thing that I prayed, but I can't tell you how many times there's been a reward. His presence, his peace, something else. Remember what we said last week, sometimes God will deliver you from something, Psalm 40. Sometimes God will deliver you through something, Isaiah 43. Sometimes God will tell you, Hebrews 11, 39 and 40, wait, later, not now, ultimately, on the other side. This is the essence of prayer and this is what we need to be left with today. In fact, everybody wrestles with it, a father who is unseen. Jesus made no promises to anybody about a visible, tangible, manifest presence in person. But Jesus said the father is unseen. But the father will see you when you do this in secret. Secret's a funny word. Hey, Everybody listen up. I'm going to tell you a secret. Some of you woke up, right? Some of you are leaning in now. You, know, What's the secret? I know a secret. It's kind of juicy, isn't it? Or someone will tell me, look, and I know, I know the pain because I'm a sinner like you. Hey, someone will tell me, hey, pastor, I've been living with this secret. And that is a weight. Secret mostly, I can think of a positive. Hey, 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 what's your secret? That's a positive. Hey, man, you're crushing this. You're you're nailing this. You're knocking it out of the park. What's your secret? And most of the time, though, however, we think of secrets as something dirty, as something bad, as something hidden. In fact, it can be convicting to all of us, but in Luke 8, 17, Jesus said, hey, you're not ultimately going to have any secrets. The secrets you think you have now, the, the things that are hidden, they'll be brought into the light. The things that you're covering up will be revealed. That your life of containment and concealment and cover-ups, look, look, at me, not a good strategy. Confession, that's the way to go. And Jesus says in Luke 8:17, those secrets, hey, one day it's coming out. One day it's gonna be, it's gonna be revealed. An early follower of Jesus, one of the most brilliant ever, penned a lot of this, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4-2. 2 Corinthians 4-2, he said that we are we are taught to renounce. Secret and shameful ways. In other words, those bad secrets, let's do away with them. Let's bring our stuff into the light. Let's live in the light. But Jesus is saying there's a good kind of secret. And it can bring health and happiness to your very bones and marrow. It's when you do good deeds, when you give money and you pray and you fast and do it not to be seen by other people. When you, Matthew 6, Nick Crawford preached this a few weeks ago in the the sermon topic, I crave approval from the first few verses of Matthew 6. But when you do it to be seen by other people, well, that's your reward. So Jesus said, go to your father who is unseen and he will see what you pray in secret and he will reward you. That's the invitation of prayer. You've heard me taught, survey says, outside of the scripture, contemporary survey says, the number one reason why people pray is answered prayer the number one reason why people don't pray is unanswered prayer. And so Jesus knows what he's doing. He invites us into this invitational life to pray in secret, to give it to him, to the Father, who is unseen. So last week, we looked at the first four words, our Father in heaven. Today, we're going to look at the, last f- or the next four words, Hallowed be thy name. Our, notice that, we didn't hit this last week, but our Father, don't miss the our in our Father. When we read this from Matthew 6, when you saw it on the sermon bumper, when you heard it in Emily's poetic paraphrase to this, this prayer, look, it's our, our. It's not a singular thing, it's a plural thing some of us are stammering and clamoring and walking like a blind man groping in the darkness out of quarantine and uh, being at home it's hard for some of us to come out and emerge we've we've been alone Uh, life is not meant to be lived alone we're to be together we're to be with each other and to experience that. And this word, "hour" is this invitation to remember. Now, Jesus says when you pray, you're not praying to an abstract deity or an impersonal force. You're not even praying to creator or judge. You're praying to Father. And you call him. Like, if you go have lunch with somebody tomorrow, you're not gonna sit down and go, hey, you. In all likelihood, you're gonna call him by a name or you're gonna call him by a nickname if you're playful in this relationship. You're going to use the name, you're going to address them. And Jesus is saying, hey, when I'm going to tell you how to pray, I'm going to tell you who you're praying to. You're not throwing one out to the mountains. You're not throwing one up to the cold, capricious universe. You're speaking to a God who wants to be your father. He wants it to be an intimate relationship. And guess what? It's our father. It's our father. Like, don't let your prayers be selfish. Don't live your life selfishly. Look at me, we're in this together. We're in this together. This week I was feeling lonely at a point and I was discouraged by about 16 things. And someone f- found a way spontaneously to serve. And I saw them and it blessed me. And I looked out and I was reminded that I'm not alone, that I'm, I'm, I'm believing a lie and I gotta be careful that it's not my father, it's our father. And I've got brothers and sisters in Christ. Guess what? You've got brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have a heavenly father, you have brothers and sisters in Christ friend of mine, they have, um, they have seven kids. I'm so happy for them, I'm so happy that it's them. I got three, I love my three, I wouldn't want to double it and add one. But that's, they got a lot of kids and I ask them, sometimes I joke with them and the kids, I'm like, who's, who's your favorite, are you, are, you, are you their favorite? And I try to pit them against each other to create a, a dysfunctional family. But the mother was telling me recently, I love them all. And like, when you have another baby, and I hope they're done, but when you have another baby, she's like, you know, God just gives you the room. Y'all found this out. You got, you got two or three babies. Like, God gives you the room. And it's not like a bigger, better thing. It's like just God gives you. Every parent and grandparent understands this. God just gives you room to love. And so, listen to me. Every time a child of God is added to the table, there's rejoicing. Remember what Jesus said? He said, pray our Father in heaven. And John 14, he said... Um, in my father's house there are many rooms and god gives room and we're not the only ones and can i say god loves all his children do you do you jesus would pray our father in heaven in matthew 6 but in john 17 he would say father those that you've given me i pray For them and those who would believe on me through them, which would include me and you if you're a believer. And he said, I pray, Father, that they would be one. I was looking at unity because there's been a whole lot of division. I was looking at Ephesians 4. Anybody know Ephesians 4? It tells, it tells us how the church should be structured, which is not one person stand on a stage and do the ministry and people come once a week occasionally and drop money in a plate and then leave and they, they do the work of the ministry. It's not that at all. It's a people like me would stand here in places of all over the city, all over the state, all over the nation, all over the world, and we would, we would preach and we would teach and we would lead so that you would be equipped for the work of the ministry, but we would do it to be spiritually mature. We would build people up in love, in love, in love. We have a father and we're brothers and sisters. Look at this, Ephesians 4. I was breaking it down a little bit. Here's what it says about unity. What about your part? You have a father. We are brothers and sisters. What part do you play in God's family? Ephesians 4, if you look at these verses in chapter 4, unity is to be our priority. How about that? Unity is grounded in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we are one, we reflect God to a watching world. Unity complements diversity. Hey, you be you. Be unique. Be who God has made you to be. Like, this is not about sameness or blandness. Anybody want sameness or blandness in the house of God? Anybody, everybody, you want everybody to be like me? That's probably the easiest question I've asked y'all in a long time. You want everybody to be like you? I don't. Unity is a mark of maturity. Unity is built painstakingly. It won't be easy. That's why scripture says, forgive and forbear. Do you just leave? When it gets hard, do you just go? Because we have a father, our father. We are brothers and sisters, forgive and forbear. Stick around, be committed, go the long, go the distance. It's built painstakingly. What is your part? As we've come through COVID and are coming through COVID, we're almost on the back end of this, I hope. Uh, we've had a, a, a heavily political divided season. What part have you played in unity or disunity? When you post, when you speak, When you live, are you adding to the unity? And it's forged by humility. When we say our father, we're not saying we're a bunch of proud people. We're saying we're under someone who is God. Yes, he's judge, yes, he's creator, but he's not an anonymous deity. He's not an impersonal force. He's not the mountains, he's not the universe. And Jesus said, when you pray, you start with the father. Now here's the thing that Jesus knows. Jesus knows when we talk about the father that it could be super emotional and it could get complicated. In Hebrews 12, it's this passage, don't put it up just yet, but in the given context, Hebrews 12 talks about how if you're a child of God, then in his love, he will discipline you. Anybody want to sign up for God's discipline? Like, I don't want that. I want to delight in his goodness. I want his blessings. But your illegitimate sons and daughters, Hebrews 12 would say, take it or leave it, but it says your illegitimate sons or daughters if you don't receive the loving, loving discipline, not random punishment, not mean-spirited retribution, but loving discipline. And it says this, it says that, that discipline um, at first doesn't seem pleasant can anybody relate to that when you're when you're going through the hurt when god's pruning you or getting your attention and there's i mean to prune something according to john 15 when jesus again talks about the father he says that there's some things got to be cut out in our life and a lot of times discipline can be that way god is god is cutting and pruning so there's blades and knives and sharp things but unlike a murderer he's not cutting you to kill you he's a surgeon who wants to get deep in you to do something in your life and it says discipline at first doesn't seem pleasant doesn't seem pleasant, not at first, but it yields. Here is another promise: it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace. Discipline is this good thing. Are, are we having the Olympics this summer? Anybody know? Yes the 2020 Olympics coming to you in 2021. Is that right? The last time I checked, we're having the Olympics. We will watch if they let us do the, the Olympics, we will watch athletes, women and men competing in the field of battle. And they will, as the storyline unfolds, they will tell us about these athletes and they will tell us about their training. But for the most part, we watch the highlights. We watch them in the arena, but we forget the discipline that goes in. That's why we are not competing in the Olympics, right? They are competing. We will watch them. We will spectate and we will Wonder and we will marvel and we will be inspired and we will cheer, but they went through the training, and when you go through the training, you have something on the other side, and there you'll hear them. They'll jump up on a. There'll be medals, bronze, gold, and silver, and they'll stand there and they'll say, "Hey." On the other side, it, it, the discipline at first didn't seem good, but on the other side of this, there's a harvest of righteousness and peace. It's athletic prowess and accomplishment for us. It's maturity. It's unity. It's love. It's the fruit of the spirit being born in our lives. So Jesus says we're addressing our father in heaven, and he says, hallowed be thy name. Nobody talks like that today, do they? In fact, Hallowed be your name. I threw in the thy. I just wanted to go King James today. Hallowed be. I can't, I can't even say it without saying thy. I'm conditioned from my childhood. Hallowed be your, your, your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be thy name. We don't speak this way, but the word hallowed means to be set apart. It's to, uh, it's to have one as priority. Simply put, it's to worship God. And it, the phrase that Jesus uses in the original languages is to make your name hallowed. In other words, we would live our lives in such a way that God's name would be made great among the people. This thing, by the way, is culminating somewhere. <laughs> this life is leading to something. This narrow span, this brief glimpse, this really short existence is leading to something. It's us to praise him. It's us to offer that to him. When I was in fifth grade, fifth grade, anybody have memories from fifth grade? Anybody kind of old like me, but you still have memories from fifth grade? We had a teacher one time tell us, Ms. Schultz, she said, hey, the assignment for tomorrow is she wanted us to get confident in speaking, which I don't know why people hate to, to do public speaking. She said, everybody's gonna stand up on our little stage in our class and you're gonna tell us the purpose of your life which I thought, it's a pretty tall assignment. I don't know how we would do today if you had an opportunity to stand up here. Would you, would you fumble that or would you do well? Would it be cogent? Would it be succinct? Would it be powerful? Would it be inspiring? Would it be clear? Would you know? And a guy named Mike Speed, I have no idea where he is today, but Mike Speed stood up there and other people were kind of offering stuff. I had not gone yet, but Mike Speed stood up in front of the fifth grade class and said, my purpose is to worship God. And Scott Turner was sitting next to me and he mocked Mike for saying that. And I thought, man, my boy just dropped it. My purpose is to worship God, this fifth grader said. All of us have the same purpose. It's a universal purpose that we're created for. My Presbyterian friends would say the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's to worship him. It's universal. It's in you. Don't run from it because you are a worshiper just like you are a prayerer. You will give your life to something. Your allegiance, I can make up words, okay? I've been preaching a long time. I can do this. Just as you are a prayerer, you are a worshiper. Everybody prays. Everybody worships. Trust me, you give your allegiance to something. Follow your time. Follow your money. Follow your interest. Look at your calendar that's what you're worshiping that's what you're praying to but your chief end I can make I can kind of give you a shortcut here if you don't know this you're the chief end for your whole life just like Mike Speed a long time ago in Starkville Mississippi in the 70s your purpose is to worship God that's universal tap into that make his name hallowed worship him there's a unique purpose for your life it's going to be different The person that you're sitting next to, if you love someone, you live with them, I hope your unique purpose is complementary to their unique purpose. But there's a universal purpose and a unique purpose is to worship God, is to make his name hallowed. Now, here's the thing about name. If you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see the the word name a lot. And here's the thing about God. In Scripture, stay with me because it's kind of weird in our society, but in Scripture, we, God, God himself frequently gives someone a new name to reflect a new identity. Abram, A-B-R-A-M, Abram uh, means elite father. And God says, you, you now will go from Abram to Abraham, which means father of the multitudes. Jacob, the word Jacob meant deceiver. Remember, he wrestled with God and God says, you're going to go from Jacob. Now you are Israel which means the one who prevails. Anybody studying current events? The one who prevails. There's just, something, I don't, there's just something about Israel. I don't know. The one who prevails. Nation after nation after nation, larger and bigger and better, has failed and gone away. We study about him historically, but there's just something about this little nation that had this God and had this book. The one who prevails, Jesus, I bet a lot of you know this, looked at a guy named Simon or Cephas and said, you will no longer be Simon, you will be called Petra or Peter or Rock. There's a new identity. There's just something in scripture about God giving somebody a new name and it reflects a new reality. But here's what we know. Names, nomenclature, doesn't equal substance. Uh, Philadelphia is a name of a city and it means the city of brotherly love. Jerusalem itself means the city, the city of peace. But sometimes the name of a person or a city or place doesn't reflect its reality. There have been, I studied this this week, there have been a few parents who've named their sons Michael Jordan, but they're clumsy and uncoordinated. There's even a few people in America who've named their sons Warren Buffett, but they're poor and unimaginative. Nomenclature doesn't equal substance, but listen to me today. When a name does reflect its meaning, it's powerful. And here's what Jesus is getting at. This is language, but it's life. And Jesus is saying, hallowed be your name. Isaiah 52, I believe it is, in verse six puts it uh, this way, but I will reveal what? My name to my people, and they will come to know It's power. Then at last, they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. Who's speaking to you today? The critical inner voice, the relentless voice of the politicians and the pundits and the pontificators, the people that have your attention, that are speaking and getting you busy. Do you know his voice? Do you know his name? I will reveal my name to my people. In scripture, there's a few key names for God. Actually, there are hundreds of names for God. But theologians have in systematic theology, don't let that turn you off. It's really rich. It's really life-giving. Here's a few names. Now, all three of these in Scripture in in Hebrew have a dash, and they have another uh, level of a, a specific specificity to it. I'm making up words today. Elohim refers to God is all powerful. Jehovah, you've all heard that. The relational God. Before I started reading the Bible, I remember Amy Grant, the artist from back in the day, Adonai, the God who rules. I keep dating myself up here. But here here are these these names for God. And God is saying, hey, know my name because when you know my name, for example, we could do a bunch of these, but we don't have time. Uh, uh, But Jehovah Jireh means what? Anybody know? Shout it out. You'll get extra credit. Boom, that was pretty strong. Okay, I should have gone with something obscure. So I'd be like the only one who knew it and I would look better than y'all. But okay, okay, Jehovah Jireh, God is my, one more time, that was a lot of energy. God, Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider. Anybody know that today? Like you know what it means, you called it out, you got the nomenclature, but have you seen God provide? Can I tell you I have? Man, I have. Woo, like I, I get chills with my freckles when I start talking about God is Jehovah Jireh he provides now sometimes it's last minute sometimes it's fifth quarter not fourth quarter sometimes it doesn't come packaged like i want it to come packaged but he provides he provides he does and these are the names of god so as we begin to close how can we live our lives to not just repeat after me repeat after jesus but how can we repeat his life How can we be people individually and collectively, especially collectively because we have a father and we're brothers and sisters. How can we in this world say in 2021 and marching forward, how can we say and demonstrate hallowed be thy name? Just a few ways. One, look at Psalm 105 verses 1 through 3. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of all of his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. The first thing about Hallowed Be Thy Name is just consider music. Anybody like music? I mean, come on now. Music is the language of our heavenly father. Music is the language of heaven. I was a few months ago watching a message from uh, Bobby McFerrin. Anybody remember that name in the 80s? He sang, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Y'all remember that song? And I remember at the time I was going through um, a little bit of love hurt. Had a relationship, kind of go south, and I was hurting. It's okay, things worked out well for me in that department. But at the time it wasn't, and Bob was right around and Bobby McFerrin singing, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And not too long ago, Bobby McFerrin was invited to a symposium on neurology to talk about the power of music. Give this about two and a half minutes, if you will. I hope it'll connect with a few of you. Talking about expectations? Expectations. What? Ba, But I do he sits down he says to the other panelists who are all neurologists he says to them that he could take that anywhere and that everyone could follow that how about that like that's pretty powerful and scripture affirms what's in you and what's in me even if you're not talented like Lauren Lucky and I are at singing (laughs) and dancing and stuff but it's in you and it's in us and it's a part of saying hallowed be thy name. I will make your name great. I will sing with gladness and joy. Psalm eight, David walked out into the night sky. Some of you have experienced this. He says this, Lord our Lord, how majestic what? Is your name? Your name is Hallowed in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children. Stay there. So don't forget that children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. Uh, this is called anthropomorphological truths, where they uh, writers of scripture give. Uh, God, divine God, human attributes and characteristics, these fingers, you did all this with your fingers. What can you do with your fingers? Probably not a lot, but God did this. Remember the Hubble telescope when it went up and it took all these pictures, like we had technology and we're still advancing, which I love, because truth is in scripture, truth is in science, and the Hubble telescope showed us, hey, y'all, this is way bigger. This Milky Way galaxy, this universe is way bigger than we ever thought. And God did it with his fingers. Hallowed be your name. He set it in place. Y'all know how he set it in place? Science tells us you put, the sun, you put earth a little bit closer to the sun, we burn up. You take it a little bit away from the moon, and we freeze. What is mankind? Who am I, little old me? that you are mindful of them, of me, human beings, that you care for them. Guess what he does? Because he's our father in heaven. He's not just our creator. He's our father, and we're brothers and sisters. And we pray our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Psychology Today said that children laugh on average 100 times a day, but adults laugh on average four times a day. And so I ask you, what's wrong i'm talking to the adults what's wrong with us is the world does the world become that less beautiful i'm just asking does it become that less beautiful i mean i know you say preacher responsibilities the mortgage i got the divorce things are messy i got the kids i got this i got that somebody told me their infant woke up at 1 a.m ready for church i mean i got all this response i get that right i get that but can I just offer an opinion that life doesn't become that less beautiful? That's 96 gap. That's a 96 gap psychology today. Could it be that wonder and joy and gladness and delight, if we open our eyes and we're awakened by our Heavenly Father, if we become people who seek Him and we don't pray selfish petty prayers, but we pray big prayers, hallowed be thy name, could we be awakened? Could our lives be awakened to see what is around us? And just like blood is coursing through our veins, so will praise in our lives. So will joy. And so will gladness. In Acts 2.42, it describes the early church that they prayed. Do we pray? Does our church pray? Do you pray? It says they were devoted. They didn't say they dabbled in it. It said they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. As we begin to close, I'll say to you, that same church would hear from one of their writers who penned these words, and I know you've heard it. He penned these words, pray without ceasing. In other words, it's not a formal exercise, it's a free expression. And so let me ask you to do this, just stand with me if you will. Just do a, an exercise when it says pray without ceasing, Just just substitute drop the word prayer and put the word breathe in there breathe without ceasing anybody down with that breathe without ceasing y'all good with that everybody anybody see breathing as optional anybody gonna walk out here today and go you know oxygen eh, i don't i'm not really feeling it today you're gonna say, hey, preacher, I wanna breathe without ceasing because it's essential to your life. And the call from our Father, a loving Father in heaven is for us to pray, not a formal exercise, not dry drudgery, but the delight of a child. We're brothers and sisters. We're children that we need to grow and mature, but we're children coming to our Father with wonder and joy and gladness and amazement. A father who is unseen, but though our father is unseen, he loves us, calls us to be his own. And you'll you'll entertain no more lofty thought than that, that your God is your heavenly father. Pray with me. Father, thanks for today and for worship. Thanks for an opportunity to sing. Lord, I praise that we would raise the roof that we would say together hallowed be thy name majestic is your name god you are great and lord as we've said here before uh, what's don't let what's wrong with us keep us from worshiping what's right with you and as we get aligned with you as we learn in the coming weeks about surrendering about your kingdom coming and, and forgiving others lord that you would your words would penetrate us and probe to the deep parts of who we are and would lead to newness and change where you you give a new heart and a new spirit and a new mind and you create a new song that we can sing and one day you'll give a new heaven and a new earth and god i pray for old dry stodgy people set in our ways whose spirit at times is withered without wonder and joy and gladness that you give us childlike faith to come to you to a heavenly father who loves us and that we will turn our praise to you away from our problems and say hallowed Be your name. Bless these tithes and offerings. In Jesus we pray.